Now let's look to the Lord in prayer this morning before we read the scriptures and hear them proclaimed. Oh, Heavenly Father, we pray this morning that the Holy Spirit would do His work among us, that He would lead us into all truth, that He would lead us to Christ. So we pray, O Holy Spirit, lead us there. Lead us to Jesus. Show us Him. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning is from Mark, the Gospel of Mark, verses 21 through 43, and the title of the sermon this morning is Jesus Meets a Parent. Hear now the word of the Lord. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus looked, looking around to see what, who had done it, then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The following is an excerpt from Ben Witherington's book, Encounters with Jesus. It is one thing to lose a child in childbirth. This happens a lot in our world, and it's always a sadness, a tragedy. But to lose a daughter whom you've had years with, have watched grow up, have prayed with, fed, clothed, raised for 12 years, that is a different matter. You can understand then why I was frantic to find the healer named Yeshua when our 12-year-old daughter fell deathly ill. One day, Jesus met a parent. 
And at this meeting between Jesus and this parent, there is this narrative arc that develops in this encounter. And it will serve as the outline for our story this morning, for the sermon this morning. And that outline is very simple. It begins with the problem. The problem which triggers the plan. The plan which culminates in the power of Jesus Christ. So that is our outline this morning. We'll look at the problem, we'll look at the plan, and we'll look at the power. Let's begin where the story begins, and that is with the problem. The problem of this parent. One of the main reasons people encounter Jesus, one of the main reasons why people meet Jesus is because they have a problem in their life and they seek out Jesus for help. And that's certainly the case in this text this morning. Jairus has a problem. He's a parent with a problem, and he sought out Jesus for help. And in this way, his story is quite similar to the story of the woman with the hemorrhage of blood, the woman that we met in this sermon, the first sermon in the series, the one Jesus meets a desperate person, because she too, like Jairus, went and met Jesus because she had a problem. She sought out Jesus for help. And the problems of these two people, the woman and Jairus, are very similar. They're, they're interrelated. They're even textually interrelated, right? Here we find them, as I mentioned before, sandwiched together, right? Jairus' story starts, and then the woman with the hemorrhage, her story kind of comes in the middle, and then we return to Jairus' story. It's one of the unique traits of Mark's gospel. We call them Markan sandwiches. He tells stories within stories, and so these two stories are, are bound together. But they're bound together in other ways as well. There are a lot of similarities between the woman with the hemorrhage and with Jairus' daughter. Just consider a few of them for a moment. The woman is unnamed in the story, right? Jairus' daughter goes unnamed. The woman who had the hemorrhage suffered for 12 years with that. And of course, Jairus' daughter is 12 years old, we're told. The woman with the hemorrhage is unclean because of her, her illness, and so too Jairus' daughter, as a dead person, uh, becomes untouchable, unclean. Uh, God, Jesus calls, Jairus, sorry, calls the woman with the hemorrhage daughter, that's what he refers to her, and of course the daughter here is clearly Jairus' daughter. The woman with the hemorrhage is given new life. And so too is Jairus' daughter. Then finally, the woman with the hemorrhage is restored to her community. She can socialize. She's no longer a pariah. There's full communal shalom and restoration. And this story of Jairus' daughter ends with her being restored to the family. They're, they're made whole again. As you can see, there's a tremendous amount of similarities in these two stories and how they're interrelated, but there is one striking difference. There are many differences, actually, but one of the most notable is the woman's problem. Her desperation was for herself. She was sick, and she had been dealing with this for 12 years, and she was desperate, and her concern was for herself. Whereas in this story, the story of Jairus' daughter, Jairus is the desperate one. And he's not desperate for himself. He's desperate because of the illness of his daughter. Mark, 22, Mark 5, 22 and 23, Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. 
The story of Jairus' daughter is the story as a story about a parent desperately concerned that he is about to lose his child. That's Jairus' problem. He's fearing he's about to lose his daughter. Now, I've shared with you um, my parental philosophy, my, my parental kind of my enlightened goals as a parent. I basically have two goals. I've shared them with you before. Uh, one of them for my children is, number one, is don't be a jerk. Uh, that's number one. And the other one is, Get out. Thank you, Gary. Get out of my house, right? Eventually, get out of the house, right? So don't be a jerk and get out of the house. These are my two goals as a parent. Well, this past August, uh, I got a chance to fulfill goal number two for my daughter. You know, she was headed off to her first year of college. So here I go, right? I'm, I'm, I've got my goal number two, get out of the house. And, you know, it didn't exactly go as I had planned, <laughs> There was no celebrating of goal number two's accomplishment. If you have dropped off a child at college, you you know that particular moment, that gut-wrenching moment, right? The moment when you finally turn around and you're walking to your car and they're walking to their dorm and you know that moment, And I can tell you, in that moment, I was not doing well. (laughs) I was not celebrating her getting out of my house. I was uh, crying. I was uh, blubbering. (laughs) And uh, I kind of spent the next two or three days (laughs) doing that. I would even go to to Wegmans, and I would, like, cry randomly at vegetables. I don't know why. (laughs) She she loves Wegmans, my daughter. She she loves going shop. She'd shop with me. She still does. I was kind of losing it, and uh, I, was, I was kind of a blubbering idiot. I remember that night after uh, we dropped her off, kind of turned and went away, we kind of went to uh, Barnes & Noble there, the three of us, my son and my wife, and just kind of decompressing there before we were going to sleep and head home the next day. And I was kind of commending my, my wife and my son. They both did much better than me, and my, particularly my son. I said, you know, how, how did you hold all that together, you know, and he'd seen what happened to me, and... He, just, he told me that, I just cried alone like a real man, Dad. <laughs> so I wasn't doing that well. Now, why was I feeling that way? Because in a sense, I lost my daughter that day, right? There was a, there was a form of loss in that, uh, that relationship, the dynamics of it, the nature of it. You knew a certain phase of your life as a parent was over, and I was dealing with that sense of loss. But that soon subsided, right? It got better as I watched I mean, it really, it turned into joy as I watched my daughter thrive at college and watch all the new things that were happening in her life. And to this day, I mean, it really, I know it wasn't loss, it was gain. And it also kind of helped because I got back home and I cleaned out all of her garbage out of my basement. I created a home study and an exercise room. So that helped too, that helped too. (laughs) I got over it a little bit easier that way. So that was a form of loss, but it really wasn't loss at all. If you go out today and leave our church, you exit here, you go by the courtyard of our church, and there's a plaque on the wall out there. 
And as a plaque dedicated by parents who tragically lost a child to the enemy of death. And then many years later, they tragically lost another child. That's loss, right? That's real loss. There are many things in this world that just feel wrong in your soul, right? That just rub you as wrong. And one of them clearly is when a child dies before a parent. And I've seen that pain in the eyes of parents when I've officiated in funerals for their children. Those are the worst. Larry, you know that too, right? Anybody who's a pastor knows those are the worst. I saw that pain in the eyes of my own grandfather as he was crying over the coffin of his son, my father. It just ain't right when that happens. My grief wasn't about grief, it was about Eric. So wrote Yale professor and former Calvin professor Nicholas Wolterstorff in his book, Lament for a Son, a book he wrote in the aftermath of the death, this tragic death of his son, Eric. That's loss. That's real loss. And that's what Jairus was feeling in this text. That was what he was fearing in this text, that he was about to lose his daughter to death. Mark 5.22, Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. That was Jairus' problem. The problem that drove him to meet Jesus. That's a real problem. Now, before I move on in my outline, I don't want to rush just past this. I need to pause for a moment. And just pause for those in our congregation who know that loss. The loss of a child to death. Or the loss of a child in other ways. We lose our children in a variety of ways. To drug addiction, to estrangement, to extremism, to the rejection of the faith, to mental illness and depression. There are many ways to experience the loss of a child. And some of you, I know, and some of you might be listening to this now or in the future, you know the sting and the pain of that in really acute in real ways, and I don't want to treat that lightly. And I also want you to know that this text speaks into that pain. This text demonstrates most of all that Jesus cares that he ministers into those situations to people experiencing that type of loss. There is hope in this text. There is hope in Christ for those who know that loss. And one other point, I know that there are those here this morning who are not parents, who will never be parents, and in some ways hearing a sermon like this can be painful in its own ways. But this sermon speaks to you too, this text speaks to you too, because loss is not something unique to being a parent. We experience loss in a variety of ways, and Jesus speaks into that loss. He meets people in their loss. That's one of the teachings of this text. So there's hope for you too in this text. There's hope for you in Christ. Jairus had a problem. 
And his problem was his little daughter was dying. And Jairus was desperate to fix that problem. And so he came up with a plan. And that's point number two, the plan of Jairus. We've seen his problem. He comes up with a plan. And his plan is really quite simple. His plan is to find Jesus, right? His plan is not all that different than the woman with the hemorrhage. Seek out Jesus for help. And that's what he did. Jairus sought out Jesus and he begged him for help. The text says he fell at Jesus' feet, that he pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Just like the woman, Jairus sought help from Jesus. Now, I've already noted the similarities in the two stories between the woman with the hemorrhage and, the, and Jairus, Jairus' daughter. This, these stories are so connected. But one of the differences in those stories is how they approach Jesus. They both seek out Jesus. They both have a problem. Their plan to fix it is to find Jesus and get his help. But they go about it very differently. As you recall with the woman, what did she do? She snuck up on Jesus from behind, right? She touched him without him knowing about it. She kind of ambushes him and sneaks up on him. But notice how different Jairus is. He goes right at Jesus from the front. He falls at Jesus' feet. He pleads with Jesus, right? He asks Jesus to do this for him, to help him. They had two very different plans, two different ways of going about seeking Jesus' help. Now, why was that? Well, it had to do a lot with their social status and situation. Think about the woman with the hemorrhage. She was a woman, likely a widow, unmarried, with no sons. She is broke. She has no money, right? She spent all of her money. She's perpetually unclean. She does not even, the text doesn't even tell us her name. No wonder she came from behind. But Jairus is a totally different person, right? First of all, he's a man and he's an important man at that. He's a synagogue leader and he's a rich man. We know that too, likely from his position and also from his house, from the indications of the text. His daughter had her own room. He is a wealthy person. He's well regarded in his community and the text gives us his name. He is Jairus. And no wonder he came at Jesus directly, right at the front of him, because he could, because he's been doing this his whole life. He was a guy who had these type of privileges, who could do those type of things. And it took a lot of courage for that woman to sneak up on Jesus, to press through that crowd. It shows her courage and her desperation. But this too, this scene with Jairus, shows his courage and desperation. Because here is this person of public honor, a man well regarded in his community, a man of stature. And what does he do in front of everybody? He falls down at the feet of Jesus and he begs. He begs like a common person. He begs like a poor person. He begs like a desperate person because that's what he is. He's desperate. Think of how different his mentality is than Simon the Pharisee that we saw last week who thought he was better than everyone, right? No, this guy, Jairus, he's at his feet. He's like the woman at Jesus' feet in that, in that story of Simon the Pharisee. He's groveling because he's desperate. He's seeking healing for his daughter. Remember, my little daughter is dying, he says. When something is wrong with your kids, you will do anything. 
anything to fix it, even if it renders you, you know, begging on your feet, even if it renders you kind of to public humiliation. That's Jairus' plan, to go to Jesus, to meet him head on, to fall at his feet, and to beg. Because his child is dying. And his plan works, right? It works. Jesus begins to follow him to his house. And in that moment, you could imagine what Jairus was feeling. He was, must have been saying to himself, I, I did it. I've got a chance. Remember, at this point, his daughter is sick, right? She's not dead yet. There's still hope. But boy, time is of the essence. We've got to get there. You've got to get there, Jesus, and help my daughter. And they're pushing through the crowd. And then what happens? The woman comes in. The woman with the hemorrhage, right? They're going to heal his sick daughter. And then this woman comes out of the crowd, ambushes Jesus from behind. And now they're stopped. And Jairus is interrupted. They're not going to his house anymore. His daughter is sick. She's dying. And she needs to get Jesus there. And then this woman throws a wrench in the works. She interrupts his hope, his plan. And what do you think he was thinking at that moment? You know, he might have been thinking, Jesus, what are you doing helping this poor woman, this kind of a pariah in our community? I'm more important. Get to my house. Why are you stopping? Maybe he was thinking that. Or maybe he was just thinking, Jesus, my little daughter is dying. We're running out of time. What are you doing? You're putting all my hope on hold. Can you imagine what that felt like? Have you ever had that happen to you? Where well, you think you found the solution and then something happens and it just puts this interruption, this pause and the desperation you feel in that moment. That's where he is. And the delay proves costly, doesn't it? What happens during that delay? After the woman is healed, someone comes from Jairus' house, right? What do they tell him? They tell him this, Mark 5.35. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead. They said, why bother the teacher anymore? Can you imagine how Jairus felt then? All hope is lost. I was so close. All hope is lost. His plan seemed to have failed. But where Jesus is, there is always hope. Hope is never lost. Because Jesus has the power to turn around hopeless situations. And that's what we see next in our story. Point number three, the power of Jesus. The power of Jesus. When the woman with the hemorrhage touched Jesus, what did Jesus say? He said this in response when she was healed. At once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. It was the power of Christ not his clothes or something like that. It was the power of Christ that healed her, that turned around her seemingly hopeless situation. And who was standing there watching that happen? Who saw that and heard that declared? Jairus, he saw this woman healed. And then the people came and told him his daughter was dead. And Jesus, of course, overheard that report from Jairus' house. And this is what Jesus said when he overheard that. And he saw the panic on Jairus' face. He said to Jairus this, very short, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, just believe. 
That's what Jesus says to Jairus. Don't be afraid, just believe. And that word believe is in the ongoing, continuous tense. It is keep on believing. Don't give up believing. In the words of the 80s journey band, you know, don't stop believing. That's what he told them. Don't be afraid. Just believe. And Jairus, who had just witnessed what Jesus had done with this woman, he chooses to believe. He puts aside his fear. He decides to believe and to keep on believing. He doesn't give up hope. He didn't listen to the call, you know, don't bother the teacher. He believes, he continues to believe, and he follows Jesus. And they get to his house. And there's a big commotion there, right? People are wailing away. There's all this noise and crying and wailing. And you're wondering what's going on here. Well, in, in this day, people wealthy like Jairus, they would actually hire professional mourners who would come and they would, they would do the mourning for you. It's like they would, you'd pay them and they would cry and they would wail. That's what was going on. And those people were there. And Jesus comes in and says, what's all this commotion? This child is not dead, but merely asleep. And what did they do in response when he said that? They laughed. That's interesting, right? They laughed. Now, maybe they laughed because they, you know, they didn't want to lose their money, right? They were getting paid to no dead girl. I, I don't get paid. But it was probably because they thought this was ridiculous. She's dead. And they laughed. But what did Jairus do? He kept on believing. Believing Jesus. And then Jesus kicks out all the mourners, right? It's just Jesus and Peter and James and John and Jairus' wife and Jairus' daughter, a little girl. And Jesus takes her hand and says, little girl, I say to you, get up. And just like the woman with the hemorrhage, immediately she gets up. She's healed by Christ. And the people were completely astonished. The power of Christ turned around that seemingly hopeless situation and restored that daughter to her family they were whole. Don't be afraid. Just believe. And therein is found the, the access point, right? The way of accessing the power of Jesus Christ. And that is through faith. Faith in Jesus Christ. These two stories are about the power of faith. Faith drove these two people to meet Jesus. Faith Help them to persist despite the obstacles they faced in pursuing their ends. Both of these stories are about faith, about believing. Even when it seems hopeless, even when it seems impossible, don't be afraid, just believe. And that's my encouragement to you this morning. That's the application of this text. It's the only application I can give you. It's the application Jesus gives. When things seem hopeless, don't be afraid. Just believe. Believe in the power of Jesus to change things. Even when He delays that, even when there is an interruption to that process, even when people laugh at you, believe. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Now, once again, I faced that same problem we faced a while ago. What if it doesn't work out? It worked out for Jairus. It sometimes doesn't work out for us. Children die. 
And again, I have to confess to you, I don't know why that's the case. I only know this about myself, is that my ignorance about God is so much greater than my knowledge about God. I don't fully understand that. But I know what Jesus says to do here. He says, don't be afraid and just believe. And so when you don't have the answers, when things go wrong, when you face those interruptions, which can go on a long time, sometimes you just have to believe. To believe in the resurrection power of Christ, no matter what happens. To believe in the resurrection. Timothy George shares this account from Martin Luther's life. Luther lost a daughter, her name was Magdalena, at the age of 14 to the plague. He prayed earnestly by her bedside. He prayed that God would heal her, just like Jairus' daughter. But she died. And as the carpenters were nailing down the lid of her coffin, Luther screamed out, Hammer away! On doomsday she'll rise again. Sometimes it just comes down to don't be afraid. Just believe. I mentioned that plaque in our courtyard. Here's what it says on it. In our day of thanksgiving, one psalm let us offer for the saints who before us have found their reward. When the shadow of death fell upon them, we sorrowed. But now we rejoice that they rest in the Lord. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Sometimes there are no answers. Sometimes pain and life and loss and even God are inexplicable to us. And it's in those moments that Jesus meets us, meets the faithful in their suffering. And he says to us, don't be afraid. Just believe. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, give us the strength, give us the faith. Wherever we are in our suffering and loss, Help us to trust in you, to not be afraid, but just believe. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.